0: And laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Our second scripture reading is from the letter of John, 1 John chapter 1, all the way to verse 2 of chapter 2. That which which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, and just to forgive us our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Please bow with me in prayer for the word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful day that you've given us. And we thank you, Lord, that you are risen, Lord, and that it's still so awesome. amazing to us to know how much you loved us, enough to die on the cross for our sins. And so, Lord, as we come before you today, as we remember constantly what you have done for us. We pray that your spirit would, Lord, continue to move in our hearts as we hear your word. We pray that your word would become to us sweeter than honey. We pray that your word would illuminate the blindness in our own hearts and in our lives, the places and the things that we cannot see, so that, Lord, ultimately we may live for your glory. And that we, we may live for you, Lord, to testify of your goodness and your greatness and your great sacrifice and love for us, all for your kingdom and your glory. We pray all of this in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Many of us have spent the last 40 days in a season of Lent, and uh, we spent... This time reflecting on the ministry of Christ and what he's done for us. And some of us have also spent the days uh, also sharing in the experience of the, the sacrifice, right? And the suffering of Jesus Christ. We spent last week in Easter Sunday celebrating the resurrection of Christ. We came and gathered and we rejoiced in the resurrection of our Lord and our King, The question today is, where do we go from here? What do we do after Easter? Do we stop intentionally thinking about Christ? Do we stop celebrating his victory over sin until this next big holiday, right, until Christmas? And the answer is, of course not. We can't stop because what Jesus has done for us is so extraordinary that it continues to compel us every day To celebrate his death and resurrection, even though it's not Christmas or Easter, we continue to glorify him every day because of this new life that he has given us. Scripture teaches us that the disciples didn't just go home after the resurrection and the ascension of Christ. Can you imagine if the disciples were there gathering together and Jesus came in their midst and he showed them his wounds? And they were in awe of the one who they thought was dead, but had resurrected by the power of God. And they saw him ascend into heaven to sit at the right hand of the throne of God. And then they just looked at each other and said, well, that was nice. Let's go home now. The disciples didn't just go home and eat and just move on with their lives. But their lives were completely changed. They continued to glorify the resurrected King, Jesus Christ, through their lives. We read that the disciples go back to Jerusalem and they devote themselves to Christ through prayer, the scriptures, and through fellowship. And it is in Acts chapter 2 when we see the disciples who are doing this. They are fellowshipping together. They are praying together. They are together. And they are overcome by the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. God gives them his spirit and enables them to continue the work of Christ, ultimately sending them to the ends of the earth. And so by their example, we too, we don't just stop at Easter and forget about what Jesus has done for us until Advent. We cannot become lethargic or passive in our Christian faith now that the holy season is over. But we continue to devote ourselves to God Through the fellowship that we have with Him. Fellowship with God, what does it mean? Fellowship with God means that we have fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ. For the early Jews, fellowship with God only meant that they were born as a Jew, it was up to their ancestry. It was about learning the laws and keeping the laws and keeping the rituals. They used these things as excuses to say that they truly knew God and that they had fellowship with him. When in reality, as Jesus points out, they did not know God and they were far away from him. In Matthew chapter 15, he says to them, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And Jesus, of course, was quoting Isaiah and what God told his people during the time of Isaiah. And so we see that this wasn't just a thing in Jesus' time, but that the Jews had been had been focusing so much on their ancestry, their bloodline, on these laws and the rituals, but they didn't know who God was. But Jesus Christ, He broke all of that. He came and He tore the veil that divided man and God. He tore the veil physically in the temple, but he also tore the veil spiritually. The spiritual veil that that caused us to be divided from God. Christ came and he tore that down. And so our fellowship with God now relies on the blood of Christ. We are able to have fellowship with God because of Jesus Christ. The people... In the early church, no longer had restricted access to God through an intermediary or through laws or through rules, but they could now access God the Father themselves through His Son, Jesus Christ, who is now our mediator. The Spirit resides in all of those whom God has chosen. And so, this is why we can read the Word of God ourselves, this is why we can pray to God. Ourselves. This is why we can worship. This is why we can give offering and do all these things before God. It's because the Spirit of God leads us. He lives in us. He intercedes for us. And he allows us to have fellowship with God the Father. So then, those who have heard the message of the gospel and have understood the great mystery of this gospel, illuminated by the Holy Spirit, we have fellowship with God not by our works, not by our rituals, not by the law, but only through Jesus Christ. And so in today's passage, John, he uses the word fellowship four times in a very short span. And this word fellowship comes from the original Greek word, the root koinonia, and its variants can mean to share, to partner, To participate together. And in this context, John uses the word to denote the relationship that a believer has with God. The fellowship that we have with God is one where we share. We share with him. We partner with him. We participate with him. And this fellowship that we have with God, John says, is linked to the fellowship that we have with Jesus Christ and with one another. The author of 1 John makes it very clear that if you claim to have fellowship with God the Father, you must have fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ. And in the Gospel of John in chapter 8, Jesus tells this to the Jewish leaders. He says, if God were your Father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. And he goes further in John 14 and proclaims to his disciples, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And we saw the the children recite this verse. But I want to read a few more verses that proceeded. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on you do know him and have seen him. And Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it will be enough for us. And Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. And so those who claim to know the Father must know the Son, because they are one. The author of 1 John tells us in verse 3 that Jesus, the eternal life, was always with the Father, And the fellowship they share with one another is a fellowship that they have with God the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. It is not an option, not one or the other. And this explanation, it sounds a little bit unnecessary to us, right? Because we have heard the gospel, we believe in Jesus Christ, we have fellowship with God the Father through His Son. Yet in John's time, he was defending against many opponents who taught that Jesus was not the Christ, That you could have fellowship with the Father even though you do not believe in Jesus Christ. You don't have to have fellowship with the Son. And so in chapter 2, he says, Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. So then John explains that those who are in true fellowship with God will also believe and have fellowship with Jesus Christ to share as we did through the season of Lent, to share in his sufferings, to rejoice in his resurrection. In verse 5, John continues and explains that those who are in fellowship with God the Father also will walk in the light because God is light. And he begins to make arguments against these opponents are claiming that Jesus is not the Christ and that you can have fellowship with the Father without Jesus. The first one is in verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. John says, if you have fellowship with the Father, then you will practice the truth. What is the truth? You can't handle the truth. No, I'm just kidding. The truth is Jesus. We just read, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The truth is Jesus Christ. And John says, if you know the Father, if you claim to have fellowship with the Father, then you will practice the truth. Well, how do we practice this truth? Through his Spirit, the Spirit that he has given us, the Holy Spirit. It is the Spirit who helps us to understand and know the truth of the Father, to know Jesus Christ. And this is not a subjective truth, but it's an objective one, one that can only be firm in God the Father. And so it is apparent and obvious to us that John points out here that if you know the Father and the Son, then you will know the Holy Spirit, because the Spirit and the Son and the Father are one. And so in John chapter 3, we read, And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. Colin Cruz quotes a Belgian theologian, Ignace de la Potterie in his commentary. He says, The Johannine idea of truth is quite different from the intellectualist conception of the Greeks, for whom the truth was a reality, the essence of being that is revealed to the spirit. In Hellenistic dualism, this reality is transferred to the sphere of the divine and consequently cannot be attained except by escaping the world and fleeing to the realm of light. But the cosmic dualism underlying this conception is liable to cut the world off from God. For John, on the other hand, truth is found in the word of the Father turned to mankind incarnate in Christ, illuminated through the action of the Holy Spirit. What men are required to do with respect to the truth is not to win it by intellectual endeavor. It is to receive and enter into it in faith, to submit to it and to live by it. So then knowing and practicing the truth is not attaining some kind of superior knowledge or becoming spiritual, but through the fellowship that we have with the triune God. When we walk in the light and we practice the truth, we continue the work that Jesus did. We can only continue the work that Jesus did if we have the Spirit of God. Notice that there is a correlation between the fellowship that we have with God and the proclaiming of the truth. In verse 2, John says that the disciples have seen Jesus and they testify of his resurrection. And now they are proclaiming that gospel. They are proclaiming that truth that leads to eternal life. Again, he says in verse 3 that they are proclaiming what they have seen and heard, this truth of Jesus Christ. And in verse 5, he says that they proclaim that God is the light. They are proclaiming this truth. And so we can... See from from what John is saying that if you claim to have fellowship with the Father, then what will you do? You will practice the truth. What is practicing the truth? Proclaiming Jesus Christ and the gospel message of Christ. At Pentecost, there was a great revival. And there was a great explosion, right, of the Holy Spirit coming upon the people. And Scripture tells us that the people by thousands came to believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Messiah. How were they being saved? It was those who had received the Spirit, those who were walking in the light, they were proclaiming the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And so the Jewish leaders, of course, they, did not, they didn't like this. They didn't like that a lot of their people, their followers, were turning to this, what they thought was a cult of following this leader, Jesus. And so how did they try to stop this cult, right? How did they try to stop the apostles? They said, stop proclaiming that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. That's how they try to stop them. How does the world try to stop us from having fellowship with the Father? They try to stop us from proclaiming that Jesus is the Christ. This is what we read in Acts chapter 4. But in order that they may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them, the disciples, and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. If all of us had the audacity, right, of Peter and John. This is how audacious they are. They're told not to do it. They're threatened, but they continue to do it. And so in Acts chapter 5, they're taken to the court again. The high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you are, and you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging on him, him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior so to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Our fellowship with God ceases. It stops when we stop proclaiming his son, Jesus Christ. Fellowship means to share, to partner with, to participate. When we say we have fellowship with the Father, we participate in his work by proclaiming his son, Jesus Christ. Secondly, Paul, he makes an argument against his opponents in verses 8 through 10. Actually, it's in verse 7, but I'm, I, I switched them around a little bit. So. He says, that if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Apparently, the claims of many of these opponents, these false teachers, was that, you know, you have this enlightenment. right? You are spiritual now. You are above the flesh right? We, we're we not like these lowly, earthly you know beings who all their desires are carnal. We are spiritual now. And so you no longer have any sin. You can no longer sin. And Paul says, well, there's a couple things wrong with that. If you say you have no sin, number one, you're making God a liar because God says you are a sinner. And number two, he says, well, if you say you have no sin, well, then what's the point of Jesus Christ? You don't need him anymore. And remember, those who have fellowship with the Father have fellowship with the Son. So those who walk in sin, those who claim to have fellowship with the Father, but say, I don't, I'm, not a, I'm not a sinner. I don't need to confess my sins to God. I don't need forgiveness. They're actually working, walking in the darkness. And so Paul, he proclaims, In Romans chapter 6, verse 1, what shall we say then? Are we to continue to sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? How can we who claim to have fellowship with God, how can we who claim to have fellowship with the Son still live in sin? And so those who have true fellowship with God the Father, will not desire the things of the world, will not desire the things of the flesh, or make an excuse and say, well, God has already forgiven me and so I can just do whatever I want. Rather, we will desire the things of God. We will desire his righteousness and we will repent for our sins and we will grieve over them because he convicts us through the Holy Spirit. I would love to go more into this, but I talked a little bit about it a few weeks ago, so we're going to skip on to the third one. Which is kind of the main point today. The argument that he makes in verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light. We have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. John says that if we have fellowship with God the father. If we are in Jesus Christ his son. If we claim to walk in the light. He says then you're not going to live a perfect life. That's not what he says. He says, then you'll be able to walk on water. That's not what he says. He says, if you claim to have fellowship with the Father and know the Son, you will have fellowship with one another. What a thing to say. He could have said anything. But John says, your fellowship with God is shown by the way that you have fellowship with one another. He continuously points out that the first disciples the new believers, everybody that knows the Father has one thing in common, Jesus Christ. We have all been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. We, have all, we are all sinners and we are all unworthy and undeserving of this grace. That's the one thing that we all have in common. We're all different. We all look different. We're all from different places. Some of us have an, an accent. Some of us don't. But we have one thing in common, And that is that we have all been saved by Jesus Christ. This is the koinonia that we have with one another. We share in the gospel. We participate in the gospel together. So then the blood of Christ, our adoption as children of God, must be a greater unifier for us. Then even our ancestry, our culture, our political beliefs, our skin color, our gender, our language or age or job or marital status. None of these things should be greater in unifying us than Jesus Christ. So you might have in common your age with someone else, or, or you're married and you have kids and, that are the same age, or maybe you work at the same workplace, or, or, or maybe you have the same culture, ancestry, or, or whatever these seasons are, and they make you common, but they should never be superior to Jesus Christ. So we, we should be unified even more because of Jesus Christ. That means that we are not divided or quarreling because of our cultures, because of who we voted for, or which part of the world you're from, or which part of the country you're from. It doesn't matter because we all have Jesus Christ. We all share together and we have fellowship with one another because we are all sinners that have been saved by the grace of God through his son, Jesus Christ. When asked the impossible question of, out of these hundreds of, I think it's 613 or something like that, commandments, Jesus, which one is the greatest? And Jesus gives us a brilliant answer, right? He says, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as you love yourself. Love one another. And there are two commandments, yet there are one. Because if you love the Father, you will love one another. Colin Cruz, he says, there is no real fellowship with God which is not expressed in fellowship with other believers. How can we show that we know God? How can we show that we have fellowship with God? How can I show my gratitude and my love for God the Father, for all the things that he has done for me? The scriptures say, love one another. Jesus says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. This is what drew all of the different types of people in the early church in Acts to come together and to say what the Bible tells us, to have everything in common, to have all things in common. In Acts chapter 4, verse 33, we read, And with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Their unifier, what made them all come together and have all things in common, was Jesus Christ? They were from all different parts of the country. They were all. Di- there were Greeks and there were Jews. There were Gentiles. There were all different types of people there. But we read in today's first reading that they all had everything in common, and no one had lack. No one had anything that they needed because they came together. And they shared with one another. And I don't know about you, but there's often times in my life where I lack and i have need and when my fellow brother or my fellow sister comes and gives me the things that we need i see god in them and so first john chapter 2 john says whoever says he is in the light and has fellowship with jesus yet hates his brothers is still in darkness what does it mean to hate our brothers Is it only when you deliberately, you know, hate someone or or have an offense towards someone? Is it only when you have hostility towards someone? It's not only when you're hostile towards someone, but it's also when you're indifferent. When you don't care. When you neglect the needs of someone else. That's what it means to love. Love one another. To have fellowship with one another. We share, right? That's koinonia, right? To share. To share in what? To share in our, our grieving. To share in our rejoicing. To share when we lack. And to share when we have much. So fellowship with one another is not just getting together and having a good meal. Although we've had a lot of those since we've been at Grace. A lot of you guys are really good cooks. And I think we have a lot of good bakers here too. It's not about just getting together and watching sports or talking about current events. But fellowship is coming together, praising our Lord Jesus together, to share with one another, to keep each other accountable for our sins. That is what it means to love one another, to have And speaking of the gospel of Christ and the fellowship that we have With one another, John says in chapter 4, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. When we come together and we, we have koinonia, we have this fellowship, the world sees it and the world gives glory to God. We, it says in Acts, are to be of one heart and one soul. Right? That, that's how they were described. This doesn't happen overnight. It only happens when we have fellowship with the Father and when we have His Spirit. We share the same mission to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ because we share the salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ. We rejoice together, right? Last week in Easter, we all came and rejoiced together. Why? Because we all know the greatness and the goodness of our Lord Jesus. And so, practically speaking, how can we know that this is what we're supposed to do as Christians? Well, we just look at the world we look at the hostility that the world has. The division that the world has. The hatred that the world has towards one another. And if you think that that's what we are supposed to be doing. If you think that that's what the church should look like. Then I, I, I implore you to read the scriptures again. When the world looks in at the church. They should see people from everywhere, from all, all places of the earth, every ethnicity, every language, all ages, every generation coming together and having all things in common, then they will know that we have fellowship with the Father. So let us love one another as Christ loves us, and let us fellowship truly with one another because we have fellowship with the triune God. Then just as a church Acts, as we come together in the power of the Spirit, then the world will know and will glorify Him, especially in such a turbulent time in our world. Let us not be a church that looks like the world, but let us be a church that shows the world the glory of God. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we... Praise you and we rejoice and we continue to rejoice even today, even though the day of Easter has passed. We rejoice because we know that you are still alive, that you still are King, and that you still have conquered sin and death. And so, Lord, we pray that you would continue to drive our hearts and motivate us through your Spirit to have true koinonia, true fellowship with you, Father, as we have fellowship with your Son and with one another, that you may be glorified in our lives. And we pray this in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen.